Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorla. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, and we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 6145 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Amanda Machaka, Tabisa Lohoko, and Tami Kluza. In our top stories, in Africa rise and shine at the Sawa. Zimbabwe's President Robert Mugabe urges the West to lift sanctions against his country. And South Africa reiterates call for reforms of the UN Security Council. In economics, South African Union expresses concerns over VW emission scandal. And in sports news, UEFA President offers to help FIFA Ethics Committee. But first up, the news with Amanda Machaka. Good morning. Three protesters have been killed in CAR's capital, Bangui, when United Nations peacekeepers opened fire on several hundreds of people marching on the president's office. A further seven were injured by gunfire as the crowd headed for the presidency to demand the resignation of interim president Catherine Samba Panza following weekend violence in Bangui that claimed about 20 lives. Samba Panza is currently in New York attending the UN General Assembly. French soldiers and UN peacekeepers remain in the former French colony. The United Nations has warned that Burundi is at a risk of sliding back into civil war due to a dramatic upsurge in killings following the controversial re-election of President Pierre Nkurunziza. UN High Commissioner for Human Rights Zaid Rad al-Hussein says many of the victims had reportedly been detained by Burundi's National Intelligence Agency before their deaths. Al-Hussein says almost every day dead bodies are found lying on the streets of some of the capital, Bujumbura's neighborhoods. The bodies sometimes show signs of torture and are typically found with their hands tied behind their backs. South African President Jacob Zuma has reiterated the African view that the continent deserves to have a permanent seat in the United Nations Security Council. South Africa is part of a campaign to push for reform of the powerful council. Since the UN's inception, it's had only five permanent members that all wield veto powers, the US, China, Britain, France and Russia. Addressing the UN, Zuma said the 70th anniversary of the world body was a good time to reflect on reform. It is unacceptable and unjustifiable that more than one billion people in the African continent are still excluded as permanent members of the key decision-making structure of the United Nations, the United Nations Security Council. The UN cannot pretend that the world has not changed since 1945. We are no longer colonies. We are free, independent, sovereign states. The strike by more than 300,000 Kenyan teachers has just entered the fifth week, with the government showing no sign of complying with the Supreme Court order to increase their salaries by 50 to 60 percent. James Shimanyula reports from the capital Nairobi. 
Kenyan schools have been reopened by the government with only students in the classrooms as teachers continue staying away for the fifth week. The teachers are on strike to force the Kenyan government to comply with the country's Supreme Court to increase their salaries by 50 to 60 percent. The government answer to them has been, and I quote, we can't pay, we won't pay. And finally, 13 people have been killed in the rest of east of the DRC in an attack on a convoy transporting some 40,000 U.S. dollars in salaries for civil servants. Finance Minister Modus Bahati says the attack occurred in the Ovira area of South Kivu. Eleven soldiers escorting the convoy and two civilians were killed. Channel Africa News. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorna. Africa, Amuka. Thank you, Amanda. It's 805 Central African Time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequencies double 6145 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kilohertz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa. A defiant Zimbabwean president has denounced what he called the illegal sanctions imposed on his country by the European Union and the United States, questioned what wrong his country had done to the latter. The 91-year-old head of state and AU chair was addressing the UN general debate in New York. At times going off script, he reiterated Africa's common position on the reform of the Security Council and rejected attempts to prescribe new rights that are contrary to the values and traditions of certain countries. Show and Bryce Peace reports. On behalf of the General Assembly, I have the honour to welcome to the United Nations His Excellency Robert Mugabe. This was vintage President Mugabe at the UN, calling the lack of reform at the world body a lost opportunity. We are disappointed that we have lost the opportunity of this anniversary to address this burning issue of the reform of the United Nations Security Council in a manner that satisfies the just demands and expectations of the majority among us. I wish to reiterate our strong attachment to Africa's common position on the reform of the Security Council contained in the Ezulwini Consensus and the Certe Declaration. He said the refugee migration crisis in Europe could have been avoided through the respective independence of other countries and again denounced the sanctions against his country. I therefore denounce in the strongest terms the illegal sanctions, illegal sanctions that are imposed on my country by the European Union and the USA and call for their immediate and unconditional removal. We don't know what wrong we have done to the United States and can it leave us free and independent to do our own thing, please. Once more, I put it on record that my country is desirous to live in harmony with all countries, big and small. We have peace in Zimbabwe just now. We don't want war. We don't want interference. We don't want to hear of regime change at all. He castigated those who he said arrogated themselves the right to sit in judgment of others. We reject 
the politicization of this important issue and the application of double standards to victimize those who dare think and act independently of the self-anointed prefects of our time. We equally reject attempts to prescribe new rights that are contrary to our values, norms, traditions, and beliefs. We are not gays. Intransigence, his trademark, his detractors and supporters looking on. I'm Sherman Bricepees in New York. The South African President Jacob Zuma has given a hard-hitting speech at the United Nations General Assembly urging the international body to be more reflective of today's world. Addressing the 70th session in New York, President Zuma decried the lack of progress in resolving the Palestinian question and urged the world to tackle the climate challenge when the UN conference meets in Paris in December. Our presidential correspondent Tepoe Kaneng reports from New York. President Zuma says the 70th anniversary of the founding of the United Nations presents the world body with an opportunity to reflect on the structure and workings of the organization. South Africa is leading a campaign to push for the reform of the UN Security Council. The powerful council has only five veto-wielding member states, which are the United States, Britain, France, Russia and China. President Zuma has once again reiterated that Africa deserves to have a permanent seat in the UN Security Council. It is unacceptable and unjustifiable that more than one billion people in the African continent are still excluded as permanent members of the key decision-making structure of the United Nations, the United Nations Security Council, the UN cannot pretend that the world has not changed since 1945. We are no longer colonies. We are free, independent, sovereign states. The president has also reflected on some of the successes that have been achieved in the past decade. Amongst them is the decision by the majority of the UN member states to endorse a resolution to allow the Palestinian flag to fly in front of the UN headquarters. President Zuma has emphasized the need for the establishment of an independent Palestinian state. There can be no peace, security and development in the Middle East without the resolution of the Palestinian question. A solution is urgent otherwise. If we delay in the next decade, we may no longer have a piece of land to justify the two-state solution. On sectarian violence engulfing Libya, President Zuma has once again blamed the West for the rise of violent extremism and terrorism in that country. We wish to emphasize that the UN Security Council must take into account the views of the African continent when dealing with conflicts in Africa in future. The current situation in Libya and the Sahel region is a direct consequence of some members of the UN Security Council not heeding informed counsel from the African Union. Focusing on the migrant crisis in Europe, President Zuma said the influx of refugees 
was as a result of the decision by the U.S. and some of its allies to arm opposition groups in countries like Syria. It is critical that the discussions of violent extremism and terrorism in parts of Africa and the Middle East look into the root causes of the problem and not just the symptoms. Also, requiring serious reflection is the regime change doctrine and its role in perpetuating conflicts and instability in a number of parts of the, our, our continent and in the world. President Zuma had in the meantime welcomed the re-establishment of diplomatic ties between Cuba and the United States and the release of the Cuban Five. We reiterate our call for the lifting of the economic and financial embargo to help the Cuban people to gain their economic freedom. We acknowledge the contribution of His Holiness Pope Francis to the Cuban United States normalization process. President Zuma concluded his U.S. visit by holding bilateral talks with his Kenyan counterpart Uhuru Kenyatta. Tsepo Ikaneng, SABC News, at the UN headquarters in New York. In his maiden speech at the United Nations general debate, Cuba's President Raul Castro took distinctly took anti-Western positions on a number of issues. While professing his country's commitment to principles enshrined in the UN Charter, he rejected attempts to destabilize the constitutional order in Venezuela, expressed solidarity with Caribbean nations demanding fair reparations for slavery and supported Argentina's claim on the Falkland Islands. He also indicated an intention to keep introducing an annual General Assembly resolution until the U.S. economic embargo of the island nation-state was lifted. Shown Bryce Pete's reports. President Castro had fire in his belly after a 15-year absence of a Cuban head of state from the United Nations. Climate change is threatening the very existence of human species and the states should assume common but differentiated responsibilities for this reality since there is an indisputable reality and there is that not every country is equally accountable and not all of us waste natural and human resources to an irrational and unsustainable consumerism. He pledged solidarity with the Palestinian cause, welcomed the Iran nuclear deal and expressed confidence Syria's people were capable of resolving their own disputes without external interference. President Castro also blamed the migratory waves across Europe on NATO. For the past few weeks, we have been moved by the images of waves of immigrants arriving in Europe. This is a direct result of the destabilization actions promoted and executed by NATO in countries of the Middle East and North Africa, as well as of poverty and underdevelopment prevailing in countries of the African continent. The European Union should take up full and immediate responsibility for the human crisis that it helped to generate. He then lauded what he called the Cuban people's heroic and selfless resistance in light of easing relations with the United States. While the blockade remains in force, we shall continue introducing the draft resolution entitled Necessity of Ending the Economic commercial, 
and financial embargo imposed by the United States of America against And that report by Show and Bryce Peace. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. For Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa, Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe. This is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa. This is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundé. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Konyo in Nairobi. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It's 8.17 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequency 6145 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa. During the opening of the general debate yesterday, world leaders urged a resolution to Syria's brutal civil war, but offered different solutions on the best way forward. Turmoil in Syria is responsible for the emergence of a so-called ISIL terrorist group and the refugee crisis in Europe, the Assembly heard. UN Radio's Matthew Wells watched the debate unfold. The suffering of Syria and the crisis that's engulfed the whole region around it didn't take long to emerge as a central problem for discussion at the UN general debate. The Secretary-General, Ban Ki-moon, said that after five years of conflict, diplomacy had to be given a chance to break the deadly stalemate. It is time now for others, primarily the Security Council and key regional actors, to step forward. Five countries, five countries in particular hold the key. The Russian Federation, the United States, Saudi Arabia, Iran and Turkey. But as long as one side will not compromise with the other, it is a futile to expect change on the ground. King Abdullah of Jordan, one of the neighbouring countries that's sheltering more than half a million refugees from the Syrian conflict, laid out what was at stake if ISIL is not defeated. Can we tolerate a future where mass murder, public beheadings, kidnapping and slavery are common practices? Whether Persecution of communities is law. I have called this crisis a third world war, and I believe we must respond with equal intensity. In his speech, the U.S. President Barack Obama said that military force was a necessary tool in trying to stop the civil war, but not sufficient. He'd work with anyone, he said, who was willing to compromise for peace. The United States is prepared to work with any nation, including Russia and Iran, to resolve the conflict. But we must recognize that there cannot be, after so much bloodshed, so much carnage, a return to the pre-war status quo. Yes, realism dictates that compromise will be required to end the fighting and ultimately stamp out ISIL. But realism also requires a managed transition away from Assad and to a new leader. 
but President Vladimir Putin of Russia flatly contradicted President Obama's long-term strategy. He said through an interpreter that, despite the view of many in the hall that President Assad's policies had created ISIL, in fact he had to stay in power. We think it is an enormous mistake to refuse to cooperate with the Syrian government and its armed forces, who are violently fighting terrorism face to face. We should finally acknowledge that no one but President Assad's armed forces and Kurds' militia. Are truly fighting the Islamic State and other terrorist organizations in Syria. It's 8:20 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequency 6145 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa, and on 15255 kilohertz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa. U.S. President Barack Obama yesterday slammed adversaries in Russia and Syria and political foes at home while defending the use of diplomacy over force in his address to the U.N. in New York. In his speech, Obama took direct aim at Russian President Vladimir Putin and Syrian President Bashar al-Assad, saying their actions had flouted international rules and brought their countries back in time. Putin, for his part, put the onus on the U.S. for much of the chaos in the Middle East. In a U.N. address that came within 90 minutes of Obama leaving the stage, Putin blamed the U.S. and its allies for creating a power vacuum in the Middle East and North Africa, including in Libya, and of waging a campaign against Russia using economic sanctions and NATO expansion. To talk more to talk to us more on this issue, we're now joined by Professor Shadra Guto, a director for the Centre for African Renaissance Studies at the University of South Africa. Good morning, Prof, and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. Uh, good morning to you and good morning to the listeners. Now, Prof, do we see anything substantial coming from this UN meeting? Well, I think what is substantial, which... Um, we, you know, we engage the rest of the world for a while. Is this uh, uh, program of uh, the Sustainable Development Goals? So that is something that I think uh, will occupy the world for quite some time, reflecting the development uh, goals. So apart from that, on the peace and security area, which you are focused on, I think that we, the world um, is not being told. We have concrete evidence of uh, um, NATO using drones and so on to uh, even to murder um, or sponsor those who murdered Muammar Gaddafi in Libya. Libya is in total chaos. There's no government that is functioning since then. So that is something that was engineered by the U.S. and the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which is Western Europe. Uh, we do have then that escalated to other areas in the Middle East, and I believe that there also the U.S., and NATO forces are very active. They swore that they were going to remove Assad from power uh, in Syria. 
that has taken much longer than they thought would happen. So we are dealing here with facts, not just accusations from uh, Vladimir Putin of Russia, but also we cannot at the same time say Russia is not involved in also sending arms and logistics to the Syrian government and so on. So the so-called war on ISIS has been fueled by, um, I think, uh, uh, an approach which says if you don't like them, destroy them, and cannot that of peace and security. So Barack Obama, uh, in my view, President Obama of the USA, was trying to lie to the world, was not telling the truth. Putin also, on the other hand, is not admitting his role in now, Prof, just you just touched on on, on the issue of uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin, uh, basically speaking about the migration refugee issue at the meeting. Now, also the main issue here are the fundamentals that you've just touched on. Now, Obama has attacked. Assad for flouting international laws. You're saying President Barack Obama has lied to the world. How come um, the U.S. has failed to attack the Saudi Arabian government, um, whose human rights record are even worse than that of Syria? Now, even before the civil war in North Africa, in the North African state, what are the discrepancies here? Saudi Arabia, a little more hectic than Syria, but nothing is done about it. What are we missing? Well, uh, Saudi Arabia is an ally of the U.S., and uh, from that point of view, the U.S. needs Saudi Arabia, and is now using Saudi Arabia also to pound Yemen and uh, and so forth, just as the U.S. uses Israel uh, to threaten its neighbors, but also to deny the Palestinians their rights to statehood and the return of Palestinians there. It is the U.S. is supplying uh, resources to the satellite state of Israel. So one would say here that the U.S. violates international law with impunity, and uh, while it has a very vociferous voice in the world propagating that it is the rest of the world that is wrong and not the U.S., the U.S. violates more human rights in the world probably than any other country uh, in recent history, and that is a fact. So I think that we need to be truthful and we should avoid this idea of um, uh, really trying to protect the U.S. just because uh, Barack Obama um, is also partly a son of Africa. Um, I think he's running the U.S. The U.S. is an imperialist state and a terrorist state outside of the U.S. But the citizens of the U.S. are not made to understand the destruction that the U.S. is carrying out in the world. So that is where we are.
Now, Prof, just uh, very quickly, in terms of uh, moving to, let's move to the UN, for instance. Um, African countries, uh, for instance, South Africa with President Jacob Zuma, um, calling for the UN, the United Nations itself, to to look at its reforms, um, to reform in terms of how they do things and the policies and uh, what speaks to um, the countries that have uh, the decision-making or the final decisions with regards to vetoes. Uh, for instance, the U.S., um, um, China, uh, 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 sorry, the U.S., Japan, Russia, um, these big world countries. Why is there something that's going to be done with regards to the U.N. itself being reformed? Uh, very quickly, because I have to go, is to say that the whole question is about the reform of the U.N., particularly to democratize it and the security, starting with the Security Council, and to have membership in it, with the regions being represented with veto powers like the five who started it in 1945, is something that Africa spoke about very long ago. It is not just President Jacob Zuma. In 2005, in a meeting of um, the OAU uh, uh, structure in Swaziland, they declared that they needed two permanent seats for the African Union. The UN must reform. So uh, President Jacob Zuma is just mentioning what has already been taken as the African position in the world. This is nothing new at this point, but they are not pushing for it hard enough. Professor Guto, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. That was Professor Shadra Guto, Director of the Center for African Renaissance Studies at the University of South Africa in Pretoria. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It's 8.30 Central African time and our headlines up next with Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. Three protesters killed in CAR's capital, Bangui, when United Nations peacekeepers opened fire on hundreds of people marching on their president's office. Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe denounces what he calls the illegal sanctions imposed on his country by the European Union and the United States. And the strike by more than 300,000 Kenyan teachers enters its fifth week. Details at the top of the hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai.
Thank you, Amanda. The strike by more than 300,000 Kenyan teachers had just entered the fifth week with the government showing no sign of complying with the Supreme Court order to increase their salaries by 50 to 60 percent. James Shimangula reports from Nairobi. Kenyan schools have been reopened by the government with only students in the classrooms as teachers continue staying away for the fifth week. The teachers are on strike to force the Kenyan government to comply with the country's Supreme Court to increase their salaries by 50 to 60 percent. The government's answer to them has been, and I quote, we can't pay, we won't pay. Yesterday, Monday, the teachers' union went back to court to inform the judge that had ordered them to resume duty that they were unable to do so because the government, through its agency known as Teachers' Service Commission, still had not withdrawn its appeal against the teachers at the country's appeal court. The teachers' union argued that unless the appeal is withdrawn, they are not going back to class. The judge that the union's officials were to address in court on the appeal through their lawyers was reported to be feeling unwell, hence their exit from his court until this coming Thursday that the union officials will return to him. Meanwhile, the Secretary General of the Teachers Union, Wilson Sosioni, sheds light on their contention to seek legal audience with the employment and labor judge on Thursday. We ask for more time to analyze and to come to the court, give us submission, and then we'll be able to advise our members. So we've not reached that stage of advising our members. And in the absence of our ability to advise our members, then logically, without asking so many questions, it is not rocket science, it is simple, then it means teachers continue remaining in strike absolutely until after Thursday when they can be advised once we give our submission and convert our argument in court. That is the position as of now. Otherwise, we want to thank you, members of the fourth estate, for being with us all through, continue being with us. That means this game is not over. You will be with us for a little while. The strike comes at a time when Kenyan students are about to sit their year-end exams. The teachers have been asked by the Union Secretary General Wilson Sosioni to stay away from classrooms. And we want to thank our teachers that as of now, they should not take instruction from any person other than from ourselves until we authorize them to resume duty. Otherwise, as of now, it's full, full throttle industrial action until we dispose of this matter. I want to make it categorically clear that we are not intent in disobeying the court. We are obeying the court. That's why we're here on time. And we can tell you for sure we'll be here on time again on Thursday, shortly before 2 so that we can give our submission. That was Wilson Sosioni, Secretary General of the Kenya National Teachers Union. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyola. A series of protest actions against corruption in South Africa will take place in Pretoria, Cape Town and other cities around the country tomorrow. Civil society organizations under the banner of the Unite Against Corruption Coalition will take to the streets to highlight the extent to which corruption affects the work of civil society and to register their broad dissent against those involved in corrupt practices. Organizations including Section 27, Corruption Watch, Equal 
Equal Education, Right to Know, Amnesty International, Awetu and others will highlight how ordinary people are affected as a result of corruption. To discuss this further, we have on the line Stephen Faulkner of the Unite Against Corruption Steering Committee. Good morning, Stephen, and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. Hi, good morning, Ludin. Good morning to all your listeners. Now, Stephen... The National Economic Development and Labour Council basically did not grant the right to have a protected strike action. What's your well, take on this? Well, well, I must just say from the outset that we're very, very disappointed with, with NEDLAC. Uh, and we believe that it's allowed itself to be manipulated and has in fact undermined its own integrity by prevaricating around the issuing of a protected strike notice for tomorrow. However, we have a notice for October the 14th, and so we're not allowing this setback to demobilize the wonderful response of people to this initiative. And in fact, um, in many ways, we can say that NEDLAC has done us a great favor, because on the one hand, we realize now we have to rely upon our own organization and our own strength and our own resources. And secondly, we're going ahead tomorrow. It's going to be massive. And then on October the 14th, we're going to follow up with a protected strike and we're inviting all workers, regardless of whether they're unionized or not, to join with us in a second protest to show that this is uh, the fight against corruption is not a one-off event. It's a ro- it requires a rolling program of civil action and so on. Can I just say also that um, <clears throat> in listing all the organizations which you did at the beginning, you missed out, of course, our faith-based organizations of every single denomination are joining us tomorrow. And there are still many, many workers who will join us tomorrow from their unions, people on night shift, people who are taking... We've heard yesterday, for example, of people taking a day's holiday in order, in order to join us uh, from, their, from their offices and workshops and factories tomorrow. So we're really, really looking forward to a, a splendid uh, turnout tomorrow. And I think we know now that this is, this is a long battle. This is uh, fighting corruption, which is an entrenched phenomenon, requires us to have a longer-term campaign. If we're going to rescue the resources which should be going to our people and are instead going into the pockets of private individuals. Now, Stephen, th- this basically means that tomorrow's march is illegal. No, there's no illegality about tomorrow's march. What the ruling from NEDLAC provides is a status of a protected action. In other words, uh, the strike is not illegal. To strike is not illegal, uh, <clears throat> but it will not be covered by the law. So, for example, if you have, if you have an unprotected strike, the employer can dismiss you, can take out a grievance, etc., etc. But it's not illegal as such. It's not a criminal act. Uh, it's whether or not it's protected or not. If you have a notice from NEDLAC, which we should have had, actually, there's absolutely no doubt about it. We fulfilled every single administrative uh, obligation, and it was their prevarication and waiting which has created this hiatus. Um, if you have, <clears throat> if you have a, a reference from NEDLAC, you can then embark upon a protected strike, which means that the employer has to acknowledge that the constitutional right of workers 
to take action on a uh, socio-economic issue is absolutely fundamental, and therefore they can't be penalised for doing so. So now, the question Stephen, of illegal or illegal is, is not really relevant in this situation. Now, Stephen, very briefly, how long does the process take in terms of um, getting approval to march? Well, it takes... Um, because once, well, let's work backwards. One, you you submit an application to NEDLAC, uh, and I'm sure your 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 listeners are familiar with what NEDLAC is, which is a multi-chamber uh, constitutional body uh, and made up of labour, business, government, and the community. And NEDLAC has a Section 77 committee which receives applications for a notice for a protected strike. And um, we submitted ours firstly on the 4th of September, so a long time back when, sorry, I beg your pardon, it was on the 4th of September when when the committee met and so on. And we submitted our paperwork, we gave them notice, and the, the key thing is that the committee considers the matter. And if agreement cannot be reached on a way of settling this matter, then a notice is issued. And as far as we're concerned, the matter was considered. And uh, the trade union representative in that committee at that time uh, confirmed to us that the matter had been considered, and we were waiting for the notice to be issued. Now, once the notice is issued, it's absolutely incumbent upon those who've uh, secured the notice to inform employers 14 days in advance of any action taking place. So everything was going smoothly, but we were worried that we weren't receiving the notice from NEDLAC. And after several inquiries, we were summoned back to NEDLAC uh, for a meeting last Friday, and we were told that there was some ambiguity around the question of whether or not the matter had been considered. And we were very, very unhappy with that. However, we knew there wasn't much we could do about it at that time. It was a Friday. We couldn't rush to the court. We needed to take a legal opinion, which we've done, of course, and all of those matters. But at the Friday meeting of the committee, they then said, yes, the matter has been considered. Now, this left us with a terrible predicament because our march was September the 30th, barely five days, four or five days later, and we were then unable to give the 14 days notice to employers that workers would be, to, would be embarking on a protected and perfectly legal strike. So this really did create a problem for us. Anyway, we've turned this obstacle into an opportunity. Now, That's Stephen, the good news. Stephen, now with regards to your demands, what are you exactly demanding from the leaders and will you be handing any memorandum to them? We will indeed. This, this has been a, a, an absolutely wonderful model of collaborative and cooperative democracy. We've consulted a humongous, a humongous range of organisations to develop a list of demands which will be in the form of a memorandum that will be handed over on Wednesday afternoon. And incidentally, it's going to be handed over by a group of school students because they are the future, etc., etc. And they've been, many, many school students' organisations have been feeling the brunt of corruption and we think it was appropriate that they would hand over the memorandum. But the memorandum contains a a comprehensive list of demands and it covers, for example, the need to respect existing legislation, to tighten legislation where there are loopholes, 
measures to deal with new phenomena that have emerged, like the, the, the notorious golden handshakes, etc., which have been undermining agreements and uh, forcing people into secrecy and all the rest of it. There's, uh, there are demands to respect the office of the public protector and to make sure that whoever takes over from the, uh, the, uh, the admirable public protector that we have at the moment is of the same calibre and quality and integrity, etc. So a very comprehensive list of demands. But, of course, the crucial thing, and, of course, you, uh, we're hoping that your channel will take, up the, will take up the opportunity to go through them in detail. But the crucial thing, Lulu, is to make sure that um, these demands are responded to by the authorities. We want government, we want business, we even want civil society ourselves to, to absorb these demands and to see what they can do, everybody, all partners, to see what we can do to make sure that we restore the integrity of our constitution and the laws that we've passed to deal with accountability and openness and transparency. Stephen, unfortunately we have to leave it okay. there for now. Thank you so much well, for joining us. thank you so us. much for the interview. That was Stephen Faulkner of the Unite Against Corruption Steering Committee joining us on the line. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It's 8.45 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequency 6145 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kilohertz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa. Our economics update up next with Tabi Solihuku. Thanks, Balungile. Volkswagen's top-of-the-range automaker, Audi, has revealed that 2.1 million of its diesel cars worldwide are fitted with sophisticated software that enables them to cheat emission tests. In Germany alone, 577 vehicles were affected and 13,000 in the United States. In Western Europe as a whole, the number was at 1.42 million. The models concerned are A1, A3, A4, A6, Q3, A5, and TT. Meanwhile, the rigged testing scandal has affected 129,000 Volkswagen Group vehicles registered in Switzerland. VW Swiss distributor AMAG says the scandal has led to the halting of sales of new models equipped with the diesel motors in question. South Africa's ruling ANC still has to comment on the news that a Japanese power plant contractor, Hitachi, has settled U.S. charges against it involving the ANC.
Hitachi made a $19 million payment to settle charges laid by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. They relate to payments, which the SEC calls improper, made to an alleged ANC front company relating to the contracts for the Midupian Kusile power plants. In South Africa's reaction, the opposition Democratic Alliance says this shows that things at Midupi are rotten to the core. Another opposition, the economic freedom fighters, suggests the scandal shows criminality. Côte d'Ivoire has granted cocoa export licenses to 113 companies and cooperatives for the 2015-16 season, up from 80 last season. French export house Sasden, which normally buys 100,000 tons of cocoa annually, was not on the list. Company officials were not immediately available for comment. The Coffee and Cocoa Council regulator normally puts out a second exporter's list during the season. Rene Group says it's confident that its new product range and services will be a success in Zambia, despite the challenging automobile industry where second-hand vehicles are more popular. F1 Hazida Limited says the Renault brand will soon be a force to reckon with on the Zambian market. Renault says its reintroduction on the Zambian market would see the implementation of a long-term strategy designed to last and ensure success through new product range and services. The U.S. dollar trades at 13.94 in South Africa, 10.40 in Botswana, 11.22 in Zambia. It is also trading at 0.65 to the British pound and at 0.89 across the Eurozone. Gold is trading at $1132, platinum is at $909 an ounce. Brand crude oil is at $47.33 a barrel. Channel Africa's economic update. My name is Tabiso Lohoku. Thank you, Tabi. So our sports update up next with Tommy Kluza. Thanks for joining us in your sport. South African national under-17 head coach Mule Finzeki and his technical team considered a lot of factors before announcing the final squad for the FIFA under-17 World Cup that gets underway in Chile next month. The 21-member team was announced after the team's 1-0 loss to the Chilean counterpart at Athlon Stadium in Cape Town on Sunday. Ntegi says there is also a scientific influence in his final selection. It is true that we have been with these boys for a very long time, but... Uh... In May this year, we wanted to invite uh, those who do not have a chance to go to, to Niger. So the new faces that you see here are the ones that were discovered after Niger. But uh, when coming to the structure of the team in terms of our team selection, uh, it was more profiling on the position and profiling the position and also profiling the player to say what qualities does he have. Can he play under pressure? Can he play uh, when chips are down? Can he carry the team uh, when things are not going well? 
UEFA president and FIFA presidential candidate Michel Platini says that he has offered to come forward to FIFA's ethics committee to help resolve any issues relating to the 2011 payment of 2 million Swiss francs, which is almost equivalent to 29 million rand, that he received from the World Soccer's governing body. The cash, which Frenchman Platini says that was part of payment for a full-time job he had at FIFA, was referred to as a disloyal payment by Swiss prosecutor on Friday when they announced that they were starting criminal proceedings against FIFA president Sepp Blatter. SABC brings to you Rugby World Cup 2015 live on SABC2 and SABC radio stations. In rugby, South African Springbok flank Skalk Berger says that John Tevilias' retirement from international rugby because of a fractured jaw that ended his World Cup dream is a sad way of ending his international career. Berger, who was next to Tevilias when the former Springbok skipper broke his jaw in a collision, said that his best friend Tevilias has had a phenomenal career with the Springboks and is hopeful that he will rejoin the squads towards the end of the tournament to support the team. Obviously super sad, you know, it's... Uh that's that's him done, you know, done for the Springboks, and you know, obviously we are base mates, and we're privileged to play together. For you know, he started in 2002, and I started in 2003. So it's sad that it should end this way, um, but then again, you know, he's had a phenomenal career. Meanwhile, Springbok assistant coach Johan van Hran believes that the Scotland will pose a different and a difficult challenge for the Springboks in their Pool B encounter at St. James Park on Saturday and says that the team is still in the same situation they had been a week ago after losing to Japan. Scotland is a fantastic team and we've been tested over the last four years against them you know, in various places in the world. Now we're in exactly the same position as we've been last week, so... For us, it's a must-win game, and you know we'll treat them with the necessary respect. And um, we've got some world-class players, and you know, they bring some different challenges in the way that they defend, and the way that they attack, and use their forwards and their backs. So definitely a different challenge than Samoa, but a massive challenge. SABC brings to you Rugby World Cup 2015 live on SABC2 and SABC radio stations. And in tennis, Canada's Milos Raonic boosted his chances of qualifying for the lucrative ATP World Tour Finals after capturing his first title of the season with a 6-3, 3-6, 6-3 win over Portugal's João Sousa in the final at the St. Petersburg Open. The victory maintains the 24-year-old's hope of claiming a berth at the season-ending tournament featuring the world's best eight players. As it's a special turnaround, especially with all the struggles I've had this year to play some phenomenal tennis this week and... I'm very happy with uh, every aspect of it, and now this is uh, something to give me a nice little push and momentum uh, into uh, the race for London. And finally in golf, Jordan Spieth kept a brilliant season in sensational style as he scored a four-stroke victory at the Tour Championship that also won him the FedEx Cup playoff title for an 11.8 million US dollars payday. Spieth shot a closing under par 69 at Eastlake Golf Club for a nine-under total of 271 and his fifth win of the season, including the Masters and US Open. I think of Eastlake as, a, as one of the best golf courses we play all year, so it's really incredible to get a victory victory on a couple of, well, one of the greatest course in the world and then another one of the greatest courses that we play all season. We won on some awesome tracks this year, some beautiful places. You have to conquer the golf course first and foremost. You have to conquer yourself. That's the end of our sport. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at this hour. Zimbabwe's President Robert Mugabe urges the West to lift sanctions against his country and South Africa reiterates call for reforms of the UN Security Council. A draft up Africa Rise and Shine today from myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumutura Magata, technical producer Charles Moyo and the rest of the team. Thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info.channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Africa. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa is P-Square with a song titled Eno Easy. Again, 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 
Shake body 